TechSauce, sparking innovative thoughts. In-depth executive insight from leading companies on how to manage challenges of a rapidly changing world. This is Exec Insight. Interama Ventures on Sustainable Management of Plastic Waste. Plastic waste is a contributing factor to global warming and has a significant impact on the environment. As a leading chemicals company in the world, Indorama Ventures undeniably produces a huge amount of plastic, which ends up as plastic waste. However, the plastics industry has many ways to support the reduction of its waste and its impact on the environment. Today, we talk to Yash Lohia, the Chief Sustainability Officer of Indorama Ventures Company Limited, on how plastic waste can be managed. We also look at how the company is adopting the concept of circular economy to bring about sustainability. Today on Exit Insight, we're going to take a look at one of the biggest companies here in Thailand dealing with plastic production and recycling as well. Today, we're going to talk about Indorama Ventures. And with me, we have Mr. Yash Lohia, the Chief Recycling Officer of the company. Sariha. Um, first off, for those who want to know more about your company, because you started, I think, back in the, the 90s, right? And you've really developed and become, uh, you know, different company, evolving. Can you tell us about your operations right now? Sure. So my father started the company in 1990. Mm-hmm. And we started with the production of wool, wool for clothing. Uh, 1995 was our first PET plant in Thailand and the first PET plant in Thailand as well. And after that, we started to grow the PET capacity as well as polyester fiber. PET and polyester are use the same raw materials. So so it goes hand in hand. So over the years, we've grown the PET, which is used for plastic bottles and polyester fiber production. Um, And we've moved into other businesses as well. Um, In the fiber division, we've gone into hygiene fibers, which is used for masks, for feminine care, for diapers, we've moved into mobility fibers, which goes into tires, to airbags, seatbelt yarn, um, lifestyle fibers, which goes into clothing. And and then also we've gone upstream. Uh, so the raw materials that make polyester and PET. You know, in every every moment, in each moment of a, a company, whenever they grow, they have to decide to evolve and to change. Um, as you said, you started out, you know, creating something that was not plastic. Uh, what would you say would be the, the, the motivation to why your family decided to change and, and keep changing? Well, we started with wool, but soon we realized that, or my dad realized that wool cannot grow so much. The industry doesn't grow too much. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to get into an industry that could continue to grow as a necessity to, uh, to society. So PET was one of those products. Plastic mm-hmm. bottles, before plastic was more, oh, sorry, before water was more into glass bottles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, plastic uh, bottles are lighter, easier to handle, they don't break. So that was a business that was driven IBL and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, how, of course, everybody has been dealing with this. How have you been impacted by the COVID-19 outbreak? So the COVID-19 outbreak, um, 
you know, we, we reacted quite quickly. Mm -hmm. We created a team called the Global Emergency Management Team. Um, as you know, we have 120 plants globally, um, quite equally um, spread across Europe, North America, South America, and Asia, and Africa as well. So we created a team which has our global leaders, and we started out having daily calls to see the impact with each plant. And some plants were impacted, um, but PET, which is our core business, which mm -hmm. still accounts for more than 50% of IVL, was not impacted. Um, actually, it grew a bit more because people were stocking up at home water mm -hmm. bottles, for example. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of this outbreak, um, what was the feeling? It, you know, how are the emotions in the leadership you know, of your company? Could you have a guess that it would have been this big of an impact and, and lasting this long? We could not have guessed how long it lasted, no, yes. but I think the management team did a great job. Uh, everyone stayed calm and really thought through it medically, methodically. Mm -hmm. so, so everyone stayed calm and, you know, reacted in a very appropriate way. We took all the precautions at all the plants, uh, tried to contain the, the spread within our plants. Um, in IVL, we have had some positive cases, um, but we contain it as much as we can. Now, you don't only operate here in Thailand, uh, you have expanded overseas. Um, what were the first measures that you took towards, you know, countering the outbreak in offshore areas? Well, the first measure we took was um, limiting the people going into the offices and limiting the people going into the plants as much as we could. Those that were non-essential um, workers, they could work from home. So that would be the first step we took. Um, some of the offices closed down completely and everyone worked from home, such as the Bangkok office. So that would be the first uh, reaction we took. What, what were some of the challenges uh, that you met, you, you were met with, you know, uh, speaking about? Because, you know, if you're here in your home country, you kind of understand how, you know, the government was tackling COVID-19. But if you're talking about overseas, was it a different story for different areas? Sure, it was a different story, but we have locals in every country we operate. So we will get the information through the local um, colleagues. Mm -hmm. What are the, one of the biggest challenges you met, were met with? Um, well, in recycling, recycling was one of the bigger, one was one of the first impacts. So in recycling, it was difficult to get bottles to recycle, plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. That is because the waste sorting sites closed down. Waste sorting is a manual um, activity mm -hmm. and they couldn't practice social distancing. So they had to close mm -hmm. down. Once they close down, we can buy bottles to recycle. Oh. So that was one of the first challenges I came across. So what did you do then? Well, two plants had to close down uh, mm -hmm. for a few weeks, one in France, one in California. Mm -hmm. But some of the plants, we um, started growing the inventory of bottles. We bought as many bottles as we could to keep our plants running. Mm -hmm. So just a wait and see kind of situation. Yeah, we took measures, you know, increasing our raw material inventory. At the same time, some of our customers on the fiber side had to shut down. So demand also came down. At the same time, our raw material supply also came down. Mm -hmm. But so our plants ran, you know, at the to meet the demand. So how do you think things are now uh, that, you know, things are slowly a reopening in some of the countries in Thailand as well. Yeah, so our recycling plant in Thailand was never affected. Mm -hmm. We could still get bottles over here. 
Um, in the West, our recycling plants are starting to operate back to normal levels. They're still operating, you know, maybe at 60-70% operating rate, um, but that's because the demand is not there mm-hmm. on the fiber side. On the recycled PET side, which is which goes back into the beverage industry, that, that demand is still there, which is nice to see. So that means the sustainability targets of the brand owners is still intact. How do you think it's going to be for the rest of the year, do you think? It's starting to pick up now. Mm-hmm. In the West, uh, all of our operating rates just keep going up and up. Um, consumption of PET is going up. Consumption of recycled PET is also going up. Um, fiber demand is also picking up in the lifestyle area. Hygiene fibers anyway has been strong because of mask mainly. Um, so you've been a part of production of masks? We, we supply um, mm-hmm. polypropylene fiber and polyester fiber to make masks. We mm-hmm. don't make the mask ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So how has that been, do you think, with so it, that supply, have... giving supply and everything, has it been okay so far? It's been good. I mean, we run our plants fully to make those fibers for the mask. And we've been getting a lot of um, a lot of questions on, you know, can you supply us? Can you supply us? Yeah. So it's been interesting to see. Um, okay, so going back to your company, as I said, uh, there's always a, a moment where you have to evolve and you have to change. Um, how has Indorama Ventures redefined itself in the past? Um, and how is it redefining itself now? Uh, we, we talked about how you've changed from wool to, to, to PET. If you could go back and tell me one of the, maybe one or two biggest moments for your company, what were they? And, uh, and also now, what is going to be the next change for you? So up until 2003, um, we were mainly in PET production, PET and polyester fiber, and only in Thailand. So the first uh, change was 2003 when we went into the U.S. market. And after that, 2004, went into Lithuania, 2008, more Europe, 2010, uh, U.S. So that's when we started um, geographically expanding. And that's been a part of our business model to produce locally. Instead of, you know, the traditional model is produced in China and supplied to the world. Our model has been to produce locally and supply locally. How do you think that has made a difference in, in that perspective going versus what traditionally people would do? Well, it reduces the supply chain uh, mm-hmm. time, so customers prefer it. Uh, today, you know, if you order PET from, the U- from China and the US, it would take about a month to get there. Mm. But if you produce locally, you can get, have it in days. So that's been the biggest change and it makes your relationship with the customer closer. And, uh, you know, when you talk about going to another territory, going to another ecosystem, it could be challenging at times. Um, it was a very big move, right? To, to move from Asia to, to European countries, to, to America. Um, what gave you that support? You know, what, what motivated you to, to expand? Well, it wasn't me, it was my dad. Yes, for your family, for your family. But the motivation was to grow the company. You can only grow so much in Thailand. So the motivation was to continue growing the company and supplying this commodity PET as much as we could. Were there challenges? Challenges was maybe, you know, integrating culture, but uh, we did a good job. That's, uh, that's been the strength of IVL as well. Mm-hmm. To, to work well with the locals in different countries. And what about now? Obviously, 
things are different with the COVID-19 coming into the situation. How are you and your company reinventing yourself? Well, we are becoming more sustainable. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is we're more focused on ESG, environmental, social and governance. Um, we have sustainability targets, you know, reducing water intensity, reducing greenhouse gas intensity, reducing energy intensity. So we continue on that path to be more sustainable. Today, if you look at uh, ESG focused companies, those are the companies that have more attention and get more funding. Um, so that's one that's one. It's, it's been going on for a while, but there's more focus on it now. Mm-hmm. So how has technology come into play to accelerating your business model and taking your company to the direction that you want it to go to? Well, we're optimizing supply chain through AI. We are using more automation in our plants. We are you know, working remotely more and more through all the different platforms out there. So these are the few changes we've made so far and going forward, we'll introduce more technology into it. Because you said there were, you know, some periods of times where you said that, you know, you had to shut down some some companies, um, you, you're using AI now. Has this impacted any uh, anything towards your human resources, like people who are working in the factories? Are they going to have to upskill themselves and how are you supporting that? Yeah, so we've not shut down factories. Uh, during COVID, there were some factories that were shut down for a period of time, mm-hmm. but they're all running now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've not permanently shut down any factories. Mm-hmm. In terms of, well, going forward, we'll see you know, how we can optimize the workforce to be more efficient in productivity. Mm-hmm. But we've not exactly calculated you know, if we're going to let people go or anything like that. But it's more about making the factories more efficient, more productive, increasing operating rates, um, So we wouldn't want to add more people, but we want to optimize more people, train people better. And yeah, maybe even use AI in the factories, which is more in the development stage. So when you talk about using AI in your company, um, as as you mentioned, is it starting at the factory or is how is it being integrated now? So we have pilot um, tests. So mm-hmm. we choose certain factories around the world and we do pilot tests over there. So to optimize sales and operating planning, operations planning, you know, we would we would take out data from those factories, create a data lake and create those um, formulas to see what best to how best to optimize that supply chain, where to get the raw materials from, which customer supply to from which factory, that kind of thing. So which which countries are you starting that in right now? Um, all countries. So we, all countries. we've picked certain factories in US, in mm-hmm. Europe and in Asia. Um, So why have you started just with some handful of, of, of factories and not all? Or are you, are you just saying that you're just testing it out? Exactly. Oh. We're testing it out first before we roll it out to all factories. Well, Eventually, we want yeah. to do it um, wide uh, across IBL. So after testing, how has the results been? It's been good. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of savings. So mm-hmm. it's been good and we'll continue to roll that out. So when do you think, you know, after this year or next year, do you think that AI will play a bigger role in your company? Um, it's hard to give a timeline like that, mm-hmm. but you know, every year we have certain milestones of how mm-hmm. much we want to implement and how much we want to save in terms mm-hmm. of cost. Okay. And overall, when you talk about, you know, reinventing yourself and evolving the, the company, uh, we always have to talk about strategies. Of course, everybody, I think, 
during this time. It, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's it seems like a day by day planning, replanning, mm -hmm. planning, replanning. Um, how have what kind of strategies have you used to develop, you know, sustaining your your company in the long term? <coughs> um, well, our strategy continues to evolve. Every year, we re we look at our four year strategy plan. So today we have three segments. We have fiber, we have combined PET, and we have um, integrated oxide derivatives. So each segment of the business comes out with a rolling four-year plan. Um, for the most part, it's, it stays the same. You know, our business model is to be local, supply locally, and we continue doing that. The strategy that's evolving is probably the sustainability side, which I mentioned. So today we're very focused on recycling. We've committed $1.5 billion to recycling by 2025. Um, today, we recycle about 250,000 tons of plastic bottles. Our goal is to get to 750,000 tons by 2025. So the way we're doing that is we're, we're building green fuels. Um, we just signed to JV with Coca-Cola in Philippines. So that is to supply Coke, recycle PET. Um, we're expanding our existing sites and we're looking at M&As. Uh, globally to get to that target by 2025. So, you know, that sounds exciting because obviously the number one question that everyone always asks for a plastic producer is how are you dealing with the recycling? How are you dealing with, you know, climate change and all that? Um, but there's a lot of misinformation coming out. You know, I talked to you this to, to you about this before we started the camera rolling. Um, that is sometimes people don't understand mm -hmm. the journey of plastic once it's produced into a bottle and then it, it is recycled. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that, how that journey is? Well, I mean, it's important to first make the, dif the, the differentiation between plastic use and plastic waste. Plastic is good as a material and to use it in everyday products. Plastic waste is bad, but these are two different processes happening. So, so we'll start with recycling. Um, the way it works is we buy plastic bottles from waste management companies um, that gets washed grinded into flakes then the fl and it gets sorted so all the contaminants get out using either infrared um, you have to separate the colors separate other materials paper plastic uh, paper aluminium um, metal mm -hmm. so separate those then you have plastic flakes or pet flakes the pet flakes would then get melted and made into fiber which goes into carpet or curtains um, that is the contaminated recycled PET. But when you have clean recycled PET, that can go back into bottles. And that is what we're trying to do. So today, we recycle, as I said, 250,000 tons of plastic bottles. A lot of it is going into fiber, but our long-term strategy is to convert that into plastic bottles instead. Oh, so so the, 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 the plastic that would usually go in towards like the fibers, what you said, that contaminated uh, plastic would eventually you would eventually find a way to make it into bottles again? Yeah, as, as um, waste management cleans up a little bit and we get cleaner plastic bottles in our, waste, in our recycling stream, then that can go back into bottles. And the reason we want to go back into bottles is because that's, we want to cater to the brand owner targets. Mm -hmm. Brands like Coke, Pepsi, Nestle, Danone, they all have their recycling targets. Mm -hmm. So to cater to their targets, we are also trying to create more recycled PET to go back into the beverage industry. That sounds really good because usually, you know, people who want to save the world, whenever they look at a plastic bottle, you feel guilty. 
<laughs> buying a bottle when you go because you're like, oh, oh, is this really going to be recycled? Because there's so many, so much information online talking about, you know, you know, there's never no such thing as a bottle becoming another bottle again, you know, because it's already contaminated and everything. And as you said, one of the important elements in recycling is the whole process of collecting that old plastic and cleaning it and everything. How important is it? Uh, in terms of your relationship with the government and the whole infrastructure of, you know, waste management? Well, um, it's important for sure. The mm -hmm. whole value chain has to work together. And this, you know, the focus came when China banned the import of plastic scrap mm -hmm. in end of 2018. Mm -hmm. So right after that, um, countries in the West who used to export their plastic waste to China realized they have to manage their own waste. So the first step the EU Commission took is to set a target for themselves. So the EU has a target to have 25% recycled content by 2025 in all plastic packaging. So the government have taken steps to, you know, recycle more. Then soon after that, the brand owners, such as um, Cokes and Pepsis, they decided to have their own targets as well. Mm -hmm. So the whole value chain works together, including the governments and NGOs. But you know, when you talk about trash or recycling collection, it varies in different countries. For example, if you go to Japan, <laughs> they're so detailed about mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, dry, dry, dry uh, paper. Then you have to clean your, your utensils or whatever, plastic utensils, and then you, you put them here, you divide it neatly. But of course, here in Thailand, it's a different story, right? Uh, yeah. People are still getting used to not having or getting free plastic bags when they go shopping. Um, what are you doing to try and educate people about this, about you know, recycling or how are you working with the, the, the government or the, the public sector to try and have better collection? Yeah, so Japan is one extreme. Over there, they don't even have colored PET bottles. So it's all clear bottles, mm -hmm. which means it helps the recycling stream. Um, we're not going that far um, in terms of, you know, at home, you have to clean your utensils. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing over here is we're working with schools. Um, so we have created education material mm -hmm. um, in multiple languages, not just in Thailand, but also globally. And we go to schools and we educate them on how to separate the different materials, how to recycle it. And we also show them where the new life of that plastic bottle. So we show them it can go back into a shirt or it can go back into a bottle. So education is a big part of um, of sending our message to the public. Mm -hmm. And with that, we don't work too much with the government, um, but more with the public sector. So we're doing it with schools, with um, hotels, with restaurants, with other businesses in Thailand. Mm. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, now, here's a word that uh, people might not hear that often, that is the role of a circular economy. Um, eliminating waste and with the continued use of resources. Where, where is that? We're talking about that right now as, as we are talking about your processes about recycling plastic and everything. Um, in the future, how do you view your company in this stance as a, a part of a circular economy? Yes, yeah, so I mean, before it was a linear economy, which means you, you use and you dispose, where today it's about use and recycle. So closing the loop. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, so, you know, when I say we're building a recycling business, it means buying back bottles from the waste and turning it back into bottles. That closes the loop. So that's a circular economy. 
Um, even if it goes into fiber, the, the recycled PET that's not good enough for bottles, that's still, it's not exactly closing the loop, but it's still giving that bottle a new life. Uh, it can go into curtains, it can go into clothing, go, go into um, carpets, which, which are long-term, not single-use um, products. So what are your plans uh, for 2021, let's just say? I know it, it's hard to, uh, maybe you had plans earlier before COVID-19, uh, but like, what are, what are you aiming to evolve towards to now? Uh, as like as we mentioned, you said you want to do more recycling. Mm -hmm. um, are you going to be expanding to other more countries, or, or are you going to go into another sector? No. So recycling of PET bottles is um, our main strategy when it comes to PET, and that strategy is still intact. For example, just two weeks back, we closed an acquisition in Brazil mm -hmm. uh, for recycling PET bottles. So we still have our target of 750,000 tons by 2025, and we're still going towards that. Okay. And uh, lastly, I know that you know, this company has been in Thailand for quite some time. You and your father and your whole family has been a part of the Thai economy, a part of the community. How are you? Uh, how is your role now as supporting the country right now as we face COVID-19? Well, um, for COVID-19, we set up a fund of two and a half million dollars, which we're deploying globally um, to multiple charities, to help hospitals, to help uh, the doctors, the, um, the law enforcement. So it's not just in Thailand, but it's globally that we're deploying this fund. And that's how we're giving back to society. Would you like to give any closing remarks as to for those people who might, are, might be struggling or, you know, or maybe at a point in their lives or companies that are watching uh, where they might have to evolve, might have to change during this time. What is your advice to them? Um, my advice would be to, well, the, f the first thing we tried to make sure we did was not let people go. So that would be my advice. Um, you know, if you're a business running in Thailand, um, you want to try to keep the people you have and not go through the process of letting people go and then hiring people back again because you might lose talent in that process. So how has COVID-19 and the outbreak of it impacted the plastic industry? So plastic consumption has, has actually gone up. Um, before COVID, pre-COVID, what was happening is environmentalists and consumers were actually against plastic, you know, trying to ban plastics all over the world then COVID happened. And what people suddenly realize is plastic has been helping to keep food, food safer and lasting longer. It's, um, it's helped them stock up at home on water bottles. So for example, in, in the developed countries, one to 2% of food gets spoiled because there's plastic packaging around it. In developing countries, 30 to 50% of food gets spoiled because there's not enough plastic packaging in the developing mm -hmm. nations. So, and you know, they say $1 trillion is the cost of food going spoiled globally. So if you increase plastic packaging, it actually increases the hygiene level of that food and it also reduces food going to waste. So we've seen a consumption of PET and other plastics increase because people are becoming more hygiene conscious. So plastic is, seen a bit of a hero in this uh, COVID time, actually. 
Uh, can I have a follow-up question? Because um, I think one of the biggest concerns that came out of COVID-19 as well was the pollution that had occurred because people are using more plastic, um, people are taking takeouts, and there's more equipment that's being used to protect medical staff. Um, is this a, a problem that is significant or is, is it being handled right now by people like you in the recycling industry? So it's actually insignificant. As far as air pollution is concerned, plastic contributes 1-2% to 2 of that. The major contributor is um, air travel, cars, trains, that kind of stuff. So plastic is actually a small contributor to um, global pollution. And I mentioned also that plastic has a lower carbon footprint than the other materials. If you package, you know, for example, um, furniture is being replaced with plastic instead of wood because it's lighter. Planes, cars are being replaced with plastic instead of steel because it's lighter. All of this means um, lower energy intensities um, happening in the manufacturing process, lower oil being used in transporting these goods around the world. And so plastic is actually a material that we want to keep using as long as we can recycle it in the end mm -hmm. or dispose of it, you know, responsibly in the end. I have another question. It just came to my head. <laughs> they had the question was, uh, you know, uh, plastic being found in the ocean. Um, how, you know, when you talk about collection of plastic in society, that's that's easy because, you know, in a way you can con can contain it. But once it's out in the ocean, it's, it's kind of hard to think, how, how can you collect that? How can you clean it up? Uh, what is being done in this field? Yeah, so that's a difficult part. Um, today, there's a lot of plastic in the ocean, but there's also a lot of metal and glass in the ocean, which you don't see because it sinks. So where plastic floats is the reason that everyone sees only plastic. But that doesn't mean you don't have metal and glass in the ocean as well. Um, what the world is doing, so all of this plastic is all land-based, right? You don't produce plastic in the ocean. So it's all come from land eventually. Um, and by land, it, from the land, it goes into the rivers when people dispose of it. And then from the rivers, it goes into the ocean. So one big change people are doing is they're starting to put nets at the river mouth so that it doesn't go into the ocean. So that's one good um, development I've seen. Mm, okay. Um, but cleaning up the ocean, these are, there are a lot of startups trying to do that. Okay, so that's good yeah. to know. Texas, sparking innovative thoughts.